0: Hey, listeners, this is your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. If you're looking for a way to support my podcast, here are three quick things you can do. Number one, visit iTunes and review the show. More reviews help get the word out. Number two, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and support my shows. A dollar a month helps a little, and five bucks a month helps a whole lot more and gets you some neat things in return. Number three, tell a friend about the show by sharing links to your favorite episodes via social media. As always, thanks for listening and supporting my podcasts. And now, on with the show. You don't know, Flax. You Don't Know Flack. Welcome to You Don't Know Flack, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flack. Greetings and salutations listeners and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is May 28th, 2017, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about breakdancing. I have been playing some breakdancing video games on my Commodore 64, and when I was done playing those, I typed up this week's show notes on my computer. So while I load those back up, we will have a few minutes to chat during this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, hello and welcome back to You Don't Know Flack. It's been a little while since I was on the mic, but I am all done with possibly the most difficult semester (laughs) I have ever had. Uh, Ten credit hours in graduate school is too many to take, especially if you are working full time and have a family, and uh, I do all of those things, and also took a ton of classes. And so I had a good semester. I enjoyed it, but I probably, well, I will definitely never take that many uh, semester uh, credits or classes again, but I won't need to. I only have eight uh, hours left before I graduate, so that's pretty exciting. So that's uh, what I will be doing in the fall. Uh, But school is out now, and it's summer, and uh, one thing that I was really looking forward to is reading and writing the things that I want to do this summer that weren't assignments. One of the classes I took was uh, young adult fiction, and uh, so we read, uh, I think, six or seven young adult novels. And I just, I tried to get into it. It just wasn't my thing, you know, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the professor. It wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't anything like that. It was just not really my bag, you know? And so, and I, um, as as someone who likes to go to school and someone who likes to learn, I enjoyed uh, being exposed to it. And, uh, so it was interesting, but that one, uh, was probably the toughest one for me to get through. But, uh. Now I've washed my hands of that and my other classes and I am spending the summer, uh, reading and writing the things that I want to do. So, uh, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> uh, let's see what else has been going on. Oh, we, um, uh, spent some money this week doing home repairs now that, uh, it's, it's summer and, uh, you know, what's crazy is uh, I've done this with cars before. Like I, I, I had a, uh, a car and the radio didn't work right. And I drove it for years and the radio didn't work right. And then when I went to sell it, I thought, well, you can't sell a car where the radio doesn't work right. And so I fixed the radio, you know, the day before I sold it. And like, why do we do that? Why do we put up with stuff, uh, when it's for us, you know, and and not, uh, then we fix it when we're going (laughs) to give it to uh, somebody else. So we had a few things, uh, the, the ice maker, went out on the refrigerator and it's been out for over a year and it hasn't been a priority because to be honest, I, I just don't use that much ice. So everyone else in the house complained about it, but it wasn't a big deal, uh, to me. And so that was one of the things we did. And I did all the online testing, all the online troubleshooting, you know, I mean, we've, we've, uh, been doing, playing around with computers for some of us for, you know, 20 years, 30 years, and, uh, so I felt like, um, a refrigerator is something I should be able to fix. And I ran through all the diagnostics that I could find. And at the end, uh, YouTube told me that I probably had a bad ice maker. And so I was going to order one and put one in and it wasn't, uh, that much more expensive to have someone come out and do it. So I thought just in case that's not what it is, that was the best plan. And so a guy came out and said, Hey, you got a bad ice maker. And he put in a new one and was in and out in uh, about an hour. And, uh, so that went well we had to get the garage door. I had a problem with the, the garage door and, uh, it's the same thing. The garage door, the third, uh, garage door, um, has been messed up for, you know, six months or whatever. And so we called a guy and he came out and he fixed it. It cost a hundred bucks. So it's like, I've been dealing with it for six months. I should have just paid the hundred bucks and have the guy come out and fix it, you know, but we. We put those things off, um, and uh, once you get two or three of them built up, it's time to uh, uh, pay the money, pay the man. If you can't fix it yourself, have someone come out. So uh, that's what I did. So everything uh, is back up uh, just like new at Casa de O'Hara, which is what we have dubbed it where we check in at Facebook. <laughs> Whenever we get home, it says, you want to check in Casa de O'Hara? And we say, sure. So, um, oh, and I just got another ice cream cone cup in now. I, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but if I haven't, uh, I, um, when I was a kid, I had this drinking cup that looked like an ice cream cone and I'm pretty sure I talked about this. Uh, and, and I, I put the word out on Twitter that I was looking for one and a couple people pointed me to an auction. One came up for sale and I bought it and I was so thrilled and, uh, recently over the past couple of weeks, I found an auction where someone was selling five of them and they were colors I had never seen. Like one was a scoop of chocolate ice cream with marshmallow on top. And of course they're all just plastic. You know, they're just drinking cups that have, uh, uh, holes in them for straws and you could put drinks in them for, for kids. Uh, but I had never seen some of these other colors. So I bought that one. And uh, then I've, I found another auction of another vanilla one, which is the one I had as a kid. So I bought that one as a spare. So just to recap of this particular brand of ice cream cone cups, uh, I have bought every one I have seen for sale, <laughs> which seems kind of ridiculous. It is kind of ridiculous. It's not just kind of. It is uh, ridiculous. But there you go. So now on the top of my uh, hutch on my writing desk, I have eight ice cream cone cups, and then I went on Amazon and I bought these fun drinking straws that are, they're white, they're paper, they're they're white straws and they have stripes on them and uh, I thought those would look good in the cups, so I bought 100 straws and I put one in each of the eight cups and now I have 92 straws in the, the cupboard that the kids have been going through, which, uh, you know, you can't get too mad when kids use straws. Uh, so lots of good, good times around the summer. Things are settling back into normal, uh, around here. So I should use, uh, this moment for my normal disclaimer, which is if you have uh, feedback about this episode or any other episode of the show, you can always email your feedback to me at Rob O'Hara at Rob Drop me a message on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash. You don't know flack. Follow me on Twitter at Commodork, or leave me a voice message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. Hey, I know that sound. That is the sound of a 1541 drive banging its head, and that means that the file has completely transferred. So my notes are here, and we can get started talking about this week's topic, which is breakdancing. Now, breakdancing for me began with Michael Jackson doing the moonwalk. Michael Jackson performed the moonwalk on the Motown 25th anniversary special. It was called Yesterday, Today, Forever. And it aired on television on May in 1983. So I was watching this this was a primetime special where they had uh, Stevie Wonder I think was on it and they were you know it was just a normal awards type show it was celebrating uh, 25 years of Motown music and I knew Michael Jackson was scheduled to perform and so Michael Jackson came out and he performed Billie Jean and about oh gosh I don't know halfway two thirds of the way through he began to moonwalk across the stage I had never seen Anybody do the moonwalk. I think the majority of America had never seen anybody moonwalk before. Uh, And it was amazing. It was one of the greatest moonwalks uh, of all time. He literally just looked like he was gliding across the stage. And he did it a second time during his performance towards the end. The second one is shorter and not as good, uh, in my opinion, as the first one. But that moonwalk just lit the world on fire. I mean, the next day, the next day you would go to school and kids would just be doing the absolute worst impersonations of the moonwalk. Like I remember I, I tried to do the moonwalk and I was just like, I would stand there and shuffle my feet backwards, which <laughs> just like, I'm just walking backwards with my feet on the ground, uh, which is not what the moonwalk looks like, but, but I didn't know how to do it you know, but, but it was amazing. And, and, um, you know, people said, well, he had special shoes and the floor was waxed and there were all these things. Everybody had an excuse why, uh, they couldn't do the same moonwalk, but it was, uh, you know, just magical to see, uh, someone perform that. It, it was just really, I can't, I can't overstate, uh, you know, how cool it was to see that. So, uh, that was really the first, I mean, the first breakdancing maneuver, I guess I would say, uh, that I had ever seen. Now, again, that was in May of 1983. Now, I believe it was later that summer, uh, probably the summer of 83, I'm guessing, uh, my mom said, uh, Hey, there's some people we're going up to the store and there's going to be these people performing. And I was like, well, who's performing? And she said, it's the Coca-Cola break dancers. Now I don't even think I knew what break dancing. I mean, as a term really was, you know, and, uh, my, my, uh, good buddy, Andy was over visiting and, and Andy. So Andy had a brother and a sister and I had a sister. So the five of us, my mom and his mom and the five kids, went up to the grocery store and our parents, uh, went inside, I think, to go grocery shopping. And, uh, they had set up this big stage out in the parking lot, like in the parking lot of a grocery store. And they had these huge speakers and it was the Coca-Cola breakdancing team. And they had big signs that said Coca-Cola. I think they may even had free cans of Coke or something like that out there. I remember getting a bumper sticker from a local radio station and, uh, um, you know, I mean, I, I do remember definitely everything was branded, um, with Coca-Cola, but this was the first time that I ever saw people break dancing. And of course this is pretty early on, uh, you know, as far as break dancing goes, 83, um, especially in Oklahoma. So I, I assume I wasn't able to find any information about this. Uh, and I, I have to think this was a traveling group that went around on behalf of Coca-Cola for uh, some sort of promo thing. Um, but, uh, the, if you search, I haven't been able to find anything about the Coca-Cola break dancers, but that's the, um, uh, the, the name or the phrase that I remember associating with these people. But, uh, uh, so me and Andy and, and the rest of us, we sat out there and we watched, you know, these people and they, and they danced and they spun around and they did all these moves that I had never uh, seen before. And when we came home that day, we were like, guys, we're going to be break dancers. <laughs> uh, and again, this is 1983. So Andy and I were both, um, 10 years old and this would have been, gosh, I'm guessing, um, the summer before fifth grade. Uh, so break dancing for me really started during the summer, right before fifth grade. And it lasted, um, uh, for a couple of years. So, uh, now My mom had these big, um, I guess they're ironing boards. They were like cardboard, big things of cardboard that folded up. And, uh, and my dad always had Sharpies from work. He used Sharpies at work. Um, and so we took these Sharpies and we like, drew fake graffiti all over her ironing boards uh and then that's what we used for breakdancing you know so that we could slide around on the cardboard and and try to do uh, uh spins you know and and perfect our own moonwalk and stuff like that so uh that was that was how we got started breakdancing uh in in my living room was on those sheets of folded up cardboard with uh really bad uh fake graffiti drawn on them uh, with markers. So I don't think, um, breakdancing really took off until the following, uh, year. Now the following year in May of 1984, uh, so this would have been the last month of fifth grade. That's when the movie Breakin' was released. Um, and what's, another thing that's amazing to me is that Breakin' 2 was released in December of 84. So those movies, Breakin' and Breakin' 2, were both released in 1984, about six, seven months apart. Uh, And then also Beat Street came out. Now, I was not a huge Beat Street uh, fan. That was not the one that I saw first. I first saw uh, Breakin'. And I don't think that I, in fact, I'm sure that I did not see Breakin' at the movie theater. I know that I didn't see that until uh, it came out probably on HBO. We had uh, the movie channels at that time. So that's probably when I first saw breaking. But uh, I do remember that we had, I had it recorded because I would sit there and watch uh, the moves performed over and over, you know, and and the VCRs back then in the early and mid eighties were not like the VCRs that we have now. There was no slow motion. There was no, um, I mean, you couldn't fast forward or rewind on our VCR without hitting stop first. Uh, I mean, you couldn't scan back and forth, so you would watch something and then hit stop and rewind it for a minute and then hit stop and hit play again. If you wanted to watch, uh, you know, someone perform the same move over and over to, to try to learn how to do it. And that's what we did, man. We just watched these, uh, breakdance movies and tried to figure out, you know, how they were doing these things now because of those movies, we got exposed to what I would call, uh, break dance music. I mean, obviously this is very, uh, early hip hop in, in the, uh, early, uh, you know, in the early eighties. I mean, this is 83, 84, 85. Um, I had the breakin soundtrack on vinyl and I had the beat street uh, again, I wasn't a big, I don't think I had seen the uh, movie beat street, but I had the album, uh, for beat street. And then I had, uh, another album. Uh, and I think, I mean, I must've got this like at, at Walmart or something. And, you know, when you're a kid, it's very easy to uh, market things, uh, to kids, but it was called electric breakdance. And the, the, uh, front of the album, uh, has, you know, just people in different break dancing, uh, uh, moves, you know, and poses, and this had a lot of songs on it of of that era. I mean, early kind of hip hop songs. It had um, Jam on it from Nucleus. Um, it had uh, Houdini's Magic Wand. It had Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel doing White Lines. Uh, don't don't do it. <laughs> uh, and then uh, it had Run DMC. It's like that, which I remember. And then it had Rocket. But it was not the Herbie Hancock version. That's the only song on the album that's not by the original artist. It was performed by someone called BT and the City Slickers. Uh, So I'm not sure who that is. But uh, the cool thing about this album is it also came with a large poster that was folded up that had instructions on how to do different breakdancing maneuvers. And so... Uh, that, that was a cool thing about getting that particular album. Um, now my dad's stereo actually, no, no, I don't think I, I don't think mine did this at this point, but my dad's in the living room, he had a cassette player connected also to his turntable. So I could play the albums in the living room and then tape them to a cassette, which was important. If you were going to play uh, these albums, you know, on your boom box. Uh, now, I, one thing I would say about these is that uh, these albums were definitely my gateway into uh, early hip hop. I mean, having that uh, Run DMC song is uh, partially why I got into Run DMC, and then I got from, you know from there I started getting uh, the Fat Boys albums, and then of course once the Beastie Boys came out, you know that that really blew everything up. But I had a lot of early hip hop music and hip hop albums before a lot of people, but it was because, uh, of breakdancing and being exposed, uh, to that kind of music. Now, also I had a ghetto blaster. (laughs) Now I don't think, I guess that's not, I don't know if it's not a PC term or if people don't just call him that anymore, but that's what we called him. Everybody had a ghetto blaster, which was your big giant radio uh and i guess now uh pe- you know people would just call it a uh a, a boombox you know but uh that was your big portable radio the bigger the speakers the better um mine was pretty plain it had a am fm radio and a cassette player on the front and a couple of speakers and i believe mine either took 4 or 6 um C cell or D cell batteries. I mean, it took a lot of batteries uh, to run these things. I remember there was a kid uh, that rode my bus that had a, a boombox that was gigantic, and it had lights that lit up on the front. and And so, I mean, this was uh, this was a thing. You know, you, this not like um, today where you would have you know just music on your phone, and you might have your uh, headphones or your earbuds running up inside your shirt, and just little tiny earbuds, or maybe even wireless Bluetooth earbuds that nobody would really notice. No, you wanted people to notice your giant radio, which of course they were going to notice if you were blaring out, uh, you know, breakdance music. Um, but I took my radio to school all the time, like every morning, you know, and everybody would have their radios on the bus. There were probably four or five different radios, um, just playing music, you know, and, um, and then, of course, when you would go to school, uh, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but when you would go to school, uh, you know, if you were going to go breakdancing uh, before or, or during recess or something, you had to have your music. So that's why everybody had to take their stereos. Now, another big part of breakdancing that I definitely remember was the clothes. And the clothes were terrible, (laughs) especially if you were a little bit overweight like I was. Uh, But I'm thinking about, let's see. I definitely had, I mean, the first thing I would think of when I think about breakdancing are the parachute pants. Now, if you're of an age, you definitely immediately know what I'm talking about when I say parachute pants. But it's possible Uh, for younger listeners, you may not remember those, but parachute pants were, they were not loose. I mean, they weren't skin tight, but they were, you know, good fitting pants and they were made of like that kind of nylon, I guess, parachute, uh, material. And then they had zippers all over them. That's really the biggest thing I remember was the zippers. I mean, some of them went to pockets. I remember I had a pair that were, um, had zippers that didn't even go to pockets. It just had zippers on them, you know? And, uh, I had my first pair of parachute pants were like candy apple red. So I would just wear these red, no matter what else I had on, I had red parachute pants. And my second pair were these weird, like a baby blue kind of color. And then I had these black ones later, uh, and all the zippers were gray. Um, and, and, um, those, the black ones were so long for some reason, uh, they were really long. So I would have to tuck the bottoms of them into, uh, my high tops. And I remember there were zippers down at the bottom and, and, uh, just by walking, my shoes would press the zippers into the side of my ankles. <laughs> it hurt so bad. <laughs> like I could still remember that, you know? Uh, then you had to have, uh, you know, some sort of cool jacket. I had this windbreaker, uh, that was also kind of a reddish off red, maybe almost a maroon color. Uh, and I remember that, um, like a like where a hoodie, like a pullover hoodie that might have a, a pocket in the front where you put your hands. Uh, this had a little pouch that zipped up, and you could turn the whole jacket kind of inside out and stuff it into the pouch, um, and so you could carry it. So if you wanted to be uh, a cool breakdancer guy that looked like you were carrying around a purse, you could do that. And then if someone said, "Why are you carrying a purse?" you would just unzip it and pull, you know, your jacket inside out. And of course it would look like aluminum foil wrinkled <laughs> and be like, no, no, it's not a purse, dude. It's my jacket. Uh, but those were really, uh, important, you know, for like, if you're doing the backspin, you could spin a lot better if you had, uh, you know, the smooth jacket on, uh, you had to have, a pair of fingerless gloves, and I had a couple of pairs of fingerless gloves. I had these dark blue ones, and I think I had some black ones. Everybody had a pair of black ones, but uh, I had these blue uh, fingerless gloves. So that that uh, definitely went, you know, with the red pants and the maroon jacket. It really, wasn't, it wasn't about uh, magic colors, I don't think, it was a big thing about uh, uh, breakdancing outfits. Then you had to have your shoes. And I got to tell you, I had... These Converse tennis shoes, but not Chuck Taylors. Like when most people say Converse, they think of, uh, you know, normal Chuck Taylors, but these were like big puffy, uh, high tops. And I wish that they still made those. Those are my favorite shoes of all time. And, and, uh, the other thing you had to do was pull the shoelaces out and get your parents to take you down to the store and go buy neon colored shoelaces. That was a big thing. So I had these neon green uh, shoelaces, uh, and then the final, uh, I, well, accessory that, uh, that I remember was I had these bandanas. I had a, a bandana that was, um, like a, uh, uh, tiger striped bandana, but it, instead of being black and white, it was black and neon yellow. And then I had a, uh, a red, just a normal bandana, like with that kind of Western print on it, like what a hobo would <laughs> Have if he had a little bag on a stick like that kind of uh, uh, bandana, and so you would tie those either around your neck or around your ankle. Um, so it took a lot of t- <laughs> it took a long time to get dressed for breakdancing, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, and as long as no two things matched, I, I mean, imagine this: I have this, uh, you know, maroon jacket, light blue pants, or red pants, and bandanas and neon shoelaces. It was just ridiculous, you know? Um, and I had a couple of breakdancing shirts. I had this one, uh, pink sleeveless shirt, uh sweatshirt. It was a a pink sleeveless sweatshirt. And it had a guy doing the spin on the front and it said breakdance in yellow letters. Uh, because those are the only two colors I didn't have on, I guess were, um, uh, pink and yellow. And I asked my wife, I was like, what do you remember about, um, dressing up, you know, like for break dancing. And she said, of course for girls, one thing was you had to have, um, these giant belts, you know, like a Michael Jackson style, uh, belt or whatever. Uh, but she had, uh, the big belt. And, um, she also reminded me that there was a lot of like Japanese, uh, like you had, you know, if you had a bandana that had the rising sun on it, that sort of thing like that, or, or anything with, uh, Japanese or kanji, uh, uh, lettering on it, then that was cool too. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of work went into looking like a breakdancing. Probably people spent more time looking like breakdancers, uh, than they did breakdancing, but not me. Uh, I spent a lot of time practicing, you know, I would practice with that cardboard at home. I would sit in my room And just work on the wave, like waving my arm, you know, one way and then the other. Nobody around. I mean, this was just practice so that, you know, when I got to school, people would think I was cool for some reason. Uh, there was a, I lived on a a corner, a street corner, and there was a a light pole out in front of my house. And so when it would get dark, and, and during the summer, I totally remember this, I would take my, uh, a uh, boom box. And I would go out there uh, just under the streetlight and I would try to practice the moonwalk. And, and when I think back now, I think like, I <laughs> I wonder if any of my neighbors like looked out and they're like, what is that kid doing? Like, obviously I, I mean, I wanted somebody to see me if I was doing it out on the street corner under a light post by myself, it just seems so weird. But I mean, kids are weird. Like my kids are weird now. And Um, it's hard to remember like what it was like to be at that age and think, oh yeah, I was a weird kid too. That's just how kids are. Um, but anyway, uh, so I would go out there, let's see, I would practice my moonwalks. I had our waves. I don't, I don't think outside I didn't practice my spins. You know, that was, there was a knee spin and there was a hand spin and I could never do uh, a lot of those things. I couldn't do a head spin or anything like that, but. Um, you know, I did my little backspins and the centipede that, <laughs> of course, that was big uh, and I would do it on the cardboard because it didn't hurt as much, uh, as when you uh, did it, you know, other places. Now I think I've told this story before on a podcast, but I'm going to tell it again just because it, uh, fits with the, the topic at hand. But, uh, in sixth grade, well, I had been, um, uh, put into the gifted program And every year the gifted program at my school was a little different. There was a year where they said, well, we're going to send you, um, down the hallway, uh, for half a day, like half of a morning one day and half of an afternoon, another day, you know, and then, um, uh I think it was like 5th grade they were they said oh we're going to do it differently or whatever but in 6th grade what they decided to do was take all the gifted kids from the whole school district which was like 6 elementary schools and bus us all to a different school that had uh you know a bunch of extra rooms and so that's where we went for gifted so they so on Wednesdays I would spend the entire Wednesday at a different school with all these other kids and it was The school was the oldest elementary school, uh, in our city. So it was this big, giant red brick, just cube. I mean, there was no aesthetics to the building at all. It was just, it looked like a prison, you know? And, uh, so anyway, my, my friend and I, Patrick, uh, we would hang out during lunch and we were both into, he's the, Patrick is the guy who gave me my copy of, uh, the fat boy's tape and i had given him a copy of run dmc uh, and so we both dressed like breakdancers i don't remember patrick breakdancing as much as i did but you know a lot of it was just looking the part i guess and um, the thing about that school was it just seemed like it was like you were going to a prison like there was a a, a chain link fence around the playground which our school didn't have uh, and the whole playground was, was, uh, concrete where ours was grass and stuff, you know? So it was, a it was very, seemed like, uh, you know, a rougher, rougher area, as rough as you can get in, you know, a really nice suburban, <laughs> uh, you know, part of town. I mean, I'm sure there's nothing there rough that ever happened, but as kids, it seemed that way to us. And so. There were these kids, uh, that went to central that went to that school, uh, that would sit over in the corner and break dance. And they looked so mean to us. And one day, uh, they sent this girl that was with them to come over and Patrick and I were like hiding under these concrete stairs. And they came over and they said, Hey man, this guy wants to fight you. And I was like, what? Like, why would anybody want to fight me? Um, and, uh, you know, Patrick and I were, I'm sure I was wearing my, um, my parachute pants and my gloves and everything, you know? And, uh, so Patrick and I, we ended up walking over there and we walked up and there were like four or five kids standing there and they had their big boom box and the guy was just standing there with his arms crossed. And uh, I, I'd taken karate at this point for like three or four years and I knew I mean, there was no sense in letting this guy attack me. Like, if there was going to be a fight, I was just going to walk over and get into it. And this is like one of, I don't know, a handful. Definitely, I've been in less than, than, gosh, I don't know, three or four fights in my life. I mean, not very many fights. Um and so I just walked up and I saw this guy standing there. He was taller than me and his arms crossed. And I walked right up to him. And right when I got there, I just hit him as hard as I could. <laughs> I mean, it was the, like a sucker punch. I didn't hit him in the face. I think I hit him right in the stomach. You know, I was aiming for the uh, solar plexus. I was going to try to knock the wind out of him. Uh, and I hit the guy and he went down. And he went, oh, and, and they all started screaming at me. They were like, what are you doing? He wanted to have a break fight. And I was like. Oh, well, that's different. <laughs> now, a break fight is when two people that were break dancing would just dance in front of each other and the crowd would determine who is the best dancer. Uh, and there were break fights in all of these movies like break uh, you know, beat street and breaking. So that's how we knew what a break fight was. But, you know, if you tell a kid you want to fight him, how was I supposed to know he wanted a break fight? I just went over and punched him, you know. Uh, so, anyway, they did not invite us over anymore for dancing, <laughs> which is, I can't really say is their fault. I mean, you invite a guy over and then he just comes over and hits you uh so you know, looking back, it seems like I might have been the bad guy in that story. I don't feel at the time I didn't feel like I was the bad guy, but now I kind of feel like maybe I was the the bad guy but anyway, so uh, we did not do much break dancing there at uh central elementary, but in sixth grade, it seemed like everybody was break dancing. It wasn't like you know, um you know there was a time where like oh um. What's a good example? I don't. I don't. It just like, um, you know, th- there are computer nerds. I mean, there were computer nerds, but now like, I mean, people like everybody uses computers. Like, if your your mom uses a computer or your sister uses a computer at work or something, you're not like, oh, you're a computer nerd. Um, you know, it's just kind of like everybody, and, and especially with kids, like when a fad takes off, you know. Um, so it wasn't like, oh, there were two or three people that were breakdancing. It was like everybody was breakdancing. I mean, you know, uh, you'd go out on the parking lot and you'd put on music or something, or, you know, the parking lot of school or before school. And, and I mean like the popular kids were trying to do the moonwalk and the nerdy kids were trying to do stuff. I mean, it was was like everybody, um, you know, was really into it. And so my, uh, my friends, uh, Jeremy and Jason, um, now, um, Jeremy was Jehovah's witness. And so There were a lot of things, of course, this was very confusing as a kid. I didn't really understand a lot of, um, uh, the rules about Jehovah's witnesses, but there were a lot of things that he wasn't allowed to do. Like in school, he wasn't allowed to celebrate holidays with us. So if we were having a Christmas party, then Jeremy would just leave the room and he would go down to the library and he would sit down there by himself. And I always felt, you know, kind of bad about that, but um, you know, I, I think I mentioned on the Ninja episode, um, Jeremy, you know, me, Jeremy and Jason would hang out and do these Ninja things and he wasn't allowed to play army or anything like that. So he wasn't allowed to play Ninja with me and Jason, but he, we determined that it would be okay if he would um just do the camera and so we would make these movies ninja movies and Jeremy would do the camera and we decided that wasn't breaking any rules we didn't you know consult his parents or the church or anything like that but that was just the you know something that he seemed okay with um but but breakdancing uh was okay you know breakdancing was uh, it wasn't like footloose where he wasn't allowed to dance we we were all um you know into breakdancing. And, and uh, again, in, uh, you know, 80, this would be 83 and 84. Uh, we were one of the very, very few families that had a, uh, VCR with a camera and we had a color camera by then. So, um, I have some videotapes of, you know, me and Jason and Jeremy and another friend of ours, Terry, um, doing breakdancing. And we would set up these, uh, you know, little routines and stuff. There was another guy at my school that came over one time just to spend the night because, uh, I had a video camera and he wanted to, you know, uh, you know, break dance on the camera and then watch it back to see what he looked like. And of course we, you know, I've watched these tapes and we look terrible. We don't look anything like professional break dancers, but in our heads, um, we felt like we did, you know? So, uh, in school in sixth grade, uh, We had P.E. and the P.E. teacher would have all these different things. I'm sure you remember P.E. in grade school and we would, you know, do you'd have parachute day and you would have, uh, you know, jump rope day and all these things. And then there would be a free day. And I uh, me personally, I suggested to her, could we be allowed uh, to break dance? And she said, no, you know, that that's not not exercise. And I was like, well, let us show you, you know, this, this seems like the plot of a sitcom. It's really not. This really did happen. Uh, but some of us showed her break dancing and we were doing spins and, and, uh, you know, the centipede and stuff. And she said, you know, this does seem like pretty good activity. And so, um, we convinced her at the end of the year, we would have the PE program and, and uh, you know, each grade would do a different thing. And we convinced her to let the sixth graders do a breakdancing performance in the PE program. So imagine this, that, that, uh, you know, all the kids, parents come and, and the little kids do the, there was one thing where they like hit, like did sticks, like they hit the ground with sticks or something. And, uh, and then, was, you know, one group did the parachute or whatever. And then the sixth graders came out and they played the first song off of, uh, the break soundtrack, and let us break dance out there for five minutes, uh, and it was—I mean, it, I just remember it being awesome. Like it was the greatest moment. Like we were break dancing for all the parents, you know. And it was in this auditorium, so I'm sure nobody could like see, um, you know, each specific like kid or what their moves were. But but I, you know, I wish that somebody had taped that. I would love to see that. What it looked like to have, uh, you know, fifty. Sixth graders up on a stage uh, are just, you know, all break breakdancing, doing their own stuff. That must have been uh, something fun to see. Now, in the summer of 85, that was when I switched from sixth grade to seventh grade. And seventh grade at my school uh, or in my town was where all the elementary schools then funneled into one middle school of seventh and eighth grade. And so that's where I met um, my buddy, Jeff. Now, Andy The other uh, person I mentioned earlier um, who went and saw the Coca-Cola breakdancers with me, Andy, had a Commodore 64. And then when I met Jeff, he had a Commodore 64. And I knew that I wanted a Commodore 64 really badly. Um, And so I got my Commodore. And one of the things that I found were these breakdancing games. There were um, two that I know that I played. One was breakdance from Epics which was not very good and the other one was Break Street from Creative Software. Uh I think I've covered that on uh, Sprite Castle but, but you know um Breakdance from Epics was basically just like Simon. I mean the the, uh, the electronic game where you know Simon would would do um, patterns of colors and you had to repeat it it was exactly like that except for it was breakdancing moves so the other breakdancer would do you know Uh, a backspin, a headspin, or whatever, and then you had to do those moves. And and basically, you just had to remember uh, the joystick maneuvers that related to each one of those moves. But Breakdance, um, Epix's game, is really terrible. But uh, Break Street, the big difference was it had these really tall, like, huge sprites, um, and they were more detailed, so you could really see the characters and see them doing the moves. And they had done, maybe not... um, uh, like rotoscoping or something like they had done later with uh, Prince of Persia and, and stuff like that, but um, but they had done some sort of uh, uh, you know watched breakdancers and 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 uh, captured you know I mean it just looks a lot more realistic. There's a lot more frames to the animation and stuff. So that that one uh, I played a lot, you know. Um, and then there was another one called Break Fever which I don't remember playing hardly at all. And I think it was a lot like break dance from Epic. It just wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't very good. Now, um, what's strange about this time is in seventh grade. I remember this guy, um, who told me he was going to bring me some ninja throwing stars. He was going to sell them to me. I think I paid, I don't remember. It was like lunch money, um, to buy these throwing stars. But while, um, we were doing this. We, it was before school. He showed me that he could do the windmill, which was a break. It was like uh, a backspin, but you kind of flipped around up and down, uh, and swung your legs around. So I guess what's interesting about that to me is, uh, when we think back with, uh, nostalgia in mind, and we think about our childhood and we think about fads, um, we compartmentalize things like, you know, I, I joke around that, that, uh, I wanted to be a professional break dancer and then I wanted to be a ninja and then I wanted to be a skateboarder. It was like those three things in that order. And that's true. That is the order that I got into those things. But when I actually sit down and think about it, those things really overlapped and we don't. In our memory, they don't overlap. In our memory, you know, I like to think, okay, I was into breakdancing and then I got out of that and I got into um, my ninja phase. And then I got out of that and then I got into my skateboarding phase. But in reality, those things overlapped quite a bit. Like I said, that guy that sold me those ninja stars also showed me that he could breakdance. And I definitely know that I was into ninjas and skateboarding a little bit at the same time too. So I know that those things all overlapped. I don't know if all three of them overlapped at the same time. It doesn't seem like it, but it's possible, you know, um, the, uh, the movie thrashing the skateboard movie that came out in 1986. Um, there's a scene right at the beginning and they set this up and this is, you know, intentional, there are these breakdancers dancers uh, that are, uh, I think it's Venice Beach, uh, but th- but they're, um, you know, hanging out in California and these guys are break dancing and the bad skateboarders, the daggers, they roll up on their skateboards and they basically intimidate the breakdancers dancers into leaving, you know, and they, they stand up to him and the, the guy, the main dagger hook, he walks up to the breakdancers dancers and he says, uh, breaking is a memory. <laughs> and he stares them down, and then when they leave, they knock over the boom box, uh, and they leave, and that was 86, so, I mean, the biggest year of breakdancing for me uh, was sixth grade, which was 84 and 85, and then a year later, here's skateboarding, you know, and basically saying, like, breakdancing's over. I mean, they made that statement in the movie, breaking is a memory Uh, And now it's all about skateboarding. So I guess that's the other thing that's interesting to me when I look back on these things like breakdancing seems like such a huge part of my childhood. Um, But, uh, you know, if I saw the Oklahoma uh, or the uh, Coca-Cola breakdancers in Oklahoma City in uh, basically the spring or summer of 83 and, you know, it was kind of over by the summer of 85. So it wasn't very long that, uh, it was popular, you know, it, it kind of, uh, came and went really quickly. Like a lot of fads do. But when you look back on it again, like through your childhood, it seems like, uh, uh, that it was a big, huge part, you know? And, and, um, you know, the other thing I I wanted to talk about was, um, how fast things come and go today. I mean, uh, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day about these fidget spinners. And if you've not seen them, then lucky you. Uh, but they are a little toy that spins around. I guess it's got a ball bearing in the middle. Uh, and kids have picked these up and they're taking them to school and, uh, they use them, you know, to to distract themselves during school and they sit there and play with them. Um, but you know, back in the eighties, pre-internet, pre, you know, all these things. And some, for a lot of people, pre-cable, um, there was a a slow time, especially if you lived in Oklahoma, where a fad would begin on either coast, either in California or, or possibly New York. And that fad would slowly work its way across the country uh, and then eventually reach Oklahoma. And gosh, by the time uh, we found out about stuff, it might've been halfway over, you know, or, or if something hit big, then it would be mentioned in a month and a half, uh, in a magazine that you would get a couple months later. So, um, and, and MTV, you know, we found out, uh, through a lot of fads that way, but like, I remember, uh, you know, reading things about like lowered trucks when that was a fad and reading and, uh, you know, that definitely launched, a year or so later here (laughs) than I did in other parts of the country, just because, you know, stuff like that took a long time, uh, to get around. So that's, um, uh, you know, these, um, fidget spinners, like it just seems like overnight, like something popped up and all of a sudden everybody had to have one. It was everywhere. Um, but, but, uh, in the eighties, it wasn't like that. Things took a long time, you know? So that's really kind of, when I look back on breakdancing I think, you know, I saw those Coca-Cola breakdancers. I saw the Michael Jackson thing. The next year is when Breakin' came out the movie. Um, you know, so it was like this slow roll, like a slow buildup into what it was. And then when it was over, it wasn't just over one day. It was kind of the opposite. It kind of faded away a little bit less, a little bit less. You know, soon I was not wearing quite as many bandanas and I had split the pants out of my, or split the seat out of my parachute pants and didn't replace them. And I outgrew the, thank God I outgrew the breakdance, um, sleeveless sweatshirt, you know? So, uh, but that's really my recollection of breakdancing. You know, when I see kids today doing goofy stuff, when I see my kids dabbing or whatever it is and, and, um, doing things like that. Um, My, my gut instinct is to tell him to knock it off or whatever. But then I, I have this moment in my head where I imagine, uh, you know, what I must have looked like break dancing, (laughs) standing out under the street pole, uh, at night, practicing my moonwalk and, and, uh, I, I let him do it. That wraps up another episode of you don't know flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash You Don't Know Flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net. Your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 themed podcast Sprite Castle at spritecastle.com and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack.